Hello, and welcome to the Story Wagon Podcast, where we talk about life, story, and spiritual health. I am your host, Chaplain Jose Martinez, and you can learn more about this podcast at our website, storywagon.org. You can also show us your support on our Patreon page so that we can continue to host this podcast and create resources that help our communities develop good spiritual health. Welcome. Well, hello, everybody. This is Chaplain Jose Martinez with you, and today we're going to do the podcast a little bit different. I have Reverend Amy Shoemaker here with me. She's going to be the host, acting as the host, and will be interviewing me. So, uh, Amy, go ahead, take it away. Yeah. So, hello, everyone. I'm excited to be here with Jose. Um, Jose and I have been talking a lot about this global health crisis that we're in as a result of coronavirus, COVID-19, SARS-CoV-2, etc. And as spiritual leaders, one of the things we've been talking about is ambiguous loss, which is an experience that Jose named for me a couple of weeks ago that really resonated with what I've been seeing on social media, what I've been seeing show up in my conversations with people. So I thought it'd be cool to chat a little bit about that. Um, so Jose, tell, can you tell us about ambiguous loss? What does what does that mean? What's kind of a definition of that? Yeah, sure. Um, ambiguous loss is a type of loss that has been recognized to, to say that it has no sort of resolution. Um, I first encountered it when it came to people who lost loved ones in a in a time of war, where uh, the person might have been in, missing in action, and so there's no body to uh, mourn over or, you know, any kind of resolution of how, if the person's alive, if the person's dead, you know, sort of thing. And um, these folks that had suffered from this type of loss were looking at it, grieving from a different, different way. It was like they were kind of stuck in this grief process. And so when I look at that sort of idea of res- no resolution to the loss, I look at the COVID-19 stuff, a lot of people are dealing with that as the same way. One of the things that I've been seeing, you know, in my profession, in my job over at the hospital is that a lot of people, there's been some deaths that have happened in the hospital and a lot of people don't have any kind of finality to it because, well, with the, you know, isolation and the quarantine and shelter in place, the hospitals, at least in, in our area, they're not allowing patients to go in to say goodbye or, or, or the, the patient's family to go in and say goodbye. And so that's causing a lot of grief, uh, this, this ambiguous loss um, for those folks. And their grieving uh, doesn't, doesn't stop. It's like frozen. It's called frozen grief. And so kind of like stuck in the middle of like in the grief process. And so um, what I've been trying to do uh, for the hospital and for uh, my National Guard chaplaincy <laughs> is trying to educate the commanders and the leadership about this kind of loss. Um, grief is a natural response to loss, and so there are many different uh, people that are doing that. And, and I would even say that um, the ambiguous loss goes beyond just death, that there's this, many people have been affected by this COVID-19 and um, all the all the things that we're doing as a society to keep us safe. Uh, so 
many jobs are furloughing people. <laughs> so people are losing their way of life, their, the way that they make money. And they're, they're seeing that there's no end to this, you know. So, uh, so the extensions keep going on for many parts of the country. And so that's causing a lot of people to, to suffer this loss. And then on top of that, maybe they lose their house, maybe they lose their car, maybe they lose their pet. So the loss is becoming uh, cumulative. So we have this ambiguous loss, and now we're having cumulative loss. So people are losing a lot of things during this time. Mm -hmm. And so it's causing all sorts of different grief. And so like one of the griefs that we just talked about was frozen grief. So, and we can go on to different types of grief. So with the cumulative loss, with the ambiguous loss, then we have like this idea of disenfranchised grief. Mm. Disenfranchised grief is the type of grief that society, either society or the person themselves don't allow themselves to grieve over. So why grieve over a job? You're going to get another job. Why grieve mm -hmm. over a house? You're going to get another house or a car. You're going to get another car. Uh, things to that nature. And then also, you know, uh, I have a cousin. She's going to be graduating from the eighth grade. And uh, they're not really having a, uh, a ceremony like in the past. And so we have all these seniors in high school, people who are graduating from college, you know, there's not this big celebration that normally happens to, to mark this milestone in their life. And that's a loss, you know, but mm -hmm. who's going to say, well, that's a privilege, you know, you shouldn't grieve over that. But right. I mean, for these folks that have worked hard in their life to do that, uh, same with marriages or birthdays, those milestones, like mm -hmm. uh, Aaron and I will be having our 20th anniversary, you know, uh, coming up. And it's like, how are we going to commemorate this in the, in the midst of the pandemic? So this kind of grief that we're seeing and the loss that we're seeing, it's, it's very different from what we're used to in the past. But the, the symptoms and signs of people going through the struggle are the same. So if we can just keep an open mind of how people are taking the loss and how they're grieving, it'll help us as a society to, to care for those, even though they might uh, demonstrate in a way that's not appropriate, <laughs> mm -hmm. you know, sort of thing. Yeah. So. Yeah. And as I'm remembering our initial conversation about ambiguous loss, you brought it up in response to my frustration about armed protesters mm -hmm. at state capitals, at city, city capitals, um, who were armed and protesting stay at home orders, shelter in place orders, et cetera. And you're like, well, that's ambiguous loss. And I was like, uh, that makes so much sense. Um, so can you kind of connect those dots for us? Like how does an ambiguous loss translate to an armed protest right. at a state capitol? Yeah, yeah, I, it's, it's, it, yeah, it's weird. But again, there's, there are things to, when we suffer from loss and we, we're in the grieving process, the, the grief manifests in such a way that, that our bodies react. <laughs> so, uh, aggression, uh, fr uh, frustration, uh, even violence, you know, a lot of symptoms that we see in other things uh, come out in that way. And so when I see people like, for instance, Lake of the Ozarks this past week, you know, with Memorial Day, hundreds of people together, you know, and not caring. Well, it's not that they don't care. It's just that their, their loss, 
them feeling this loss and grieving. They're, they're, they're trying to find a way to make meaning out of this whole thing. Mm-hmm. And so, it, and their response is to do that, you know, because it's familiar. Mm-hmm. Um, same, same with the protesters, you know, uh, it, this idea of loss of freedom, you know, it's like they need to respond and that's just their natural emotional response. Um, and I'm not excusing their actions uh, by mm-hmm. no means, but perhaps if we have an explanation of what's going on, maybe perhaps we can help people move in their grief and move through their grief yeah. uh, to the ambiguous loss. Yeah, I have felt for a long time that our uh, sort of traditional Christian, by that I mean sort of, I guess, like white Christianity uh, in America hasn't had uh, very good ways of dealing with grief for a long time. Mm -hmm. Like our grieving process, at least like coming out of the Christian Church Disciples of Christ that I grew up in, um, I've engaged with Presbyterian, Methodist, United Church of Christ, um, uh, UCC, uh, Unitarian Universalist. Like when I think about um, Southern Baptist, American Baptist, when I think about these denominations and the churches in those denominations that I've interacted with, the grief rituals are pretty disembodied. Mm -hmm. Like we come into a room, we sit down, we might listen to some singing, you know, there's music, there's eulogy, there's hugs for the family, et cetera, et cetera. But these concepts of like real deep lament and um, like uh, I think about other cultures where like wailing is just something that you do. Mm-hmm. Uh, my wife is Jewish. Like sitting Shiva is like a major embodiment of this loss. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I've been asking myself for a long time, like, well, what are some different spiritual technologies that we can engage to grieve more fully as uh, an American Protestant uh, sort of these like progressive Christian communities, like what are some different ways that we could grieve differently? And we're seeing that now like in the extreme mm-hmm. because not, there isn't a single person who hasn't been impacted right. by this <laughs> global right. health crisis. Mm-hmm. And so to me, like this, you know, not being able to deal with ambiguous loss is um, an outgrowth <laughs> of the the lack of literacy that we have about grief in general and about loss right. in general. So um, I'm curious, you know, what are some ways that we can, I'm curious about ways that we can sort of publicly and, and personally engage with each other around grief. Uh, what are some coping skills that we ourselves can be developing? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what, what should we be, what are the signals we should be looking for? Right. So one of the key things that I'm seeing is this, this idea of despair, like things are not going to change. And so uh, there's this concept within disparity is this idea of future story. The reason why we go into despair is we lose all hope that the future holds mm-hmm. anything. Mm-hmm. And therefore our future story is distorted. Mm-hmm. And, um, 
I see a lot of people dealing with that on, on no matter their political yes. or spiritual yes. uh, areas that they have this loss of hope and not seeing anything for the future. So mm-hmm. um, creating a, 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 a different future story, <laughs> like, mm. you know, yes, we're, we're in this pandemic. We need to deal with it now. We need to do it in ways that science backs, you know, the, the ways that we're doing it. You know, I think. I think that's part of the thing what what you know all these conspiracy theories that are popping out is that people are trying to create meaning mm-hmm. and like there's there's got to be a reason for this and there's going to be meaning and this is what it means for the future and so all these conspiracy theories come out and I think that's what happens is that they're trying to create this future story mm-hmm. well this future story is still distorted so it's like how can we help people create a future story that is that has the hope that has a uh, um not so distortion the Mm -hmm. distortion's not there so that's key number one Mm -hmm. Uh, so once we have that is the other thing is to allow for space and and ritual for that loss so so we were talking about american christianity you know a lot of times when we look at it i mean i grew up in the southern baptist churches Uh, many of my uncles are baptist preachers and pastors and things like that and cousins and it's kind of like a family business (laughs) (laughs) which is really cool some of the things that i hear that come out from that tradition that i grew up in is that you know oh don't worry about it give it to jesus give it to god Mm -hmm. you know put it on the cross Mm -hmm. you know Uh, you know and it's like well yes and we 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 can also cry over we can also lament over or mourn over uh the things that we're losing so for instance, what does freedom look like in the future? Will we be sitting in cafes again? You know, that sort of thing. I don't know, but I would like to think so, yes. And we will have these other practices that we do with the, you know, sanitation and hand washing, things that we normally didn't think about in the mm-hmm. past, but now we're really thinking about it because of the spread of the mm-hmm. virus. So just keeping that in mind, but allowing people to say, okay, yeah, this, this really sucks. It sucks that I can't go to, we can't go watch baseball right now at the K, you know, yeah. watching the Royals play. Uh, the, the, the Chiefs are, are, are thinking about, well, we're not going to have fans in our stands, you know, sort of thing and planning that out. But can we survive it? Yes. Is it a loss? Yes. Should we, can we grieve over it? Uh, yeah. Cause I mean, a lot of times, you know, that kind of environment, that kind of community, I mean, it, it means something for some people, mm-hmm. you know? And so that's where they gain their connections. You know, they meet their friends out at the at the stadium, have the, the tailgate parties and all this other stuff. And now that's going to be all different this year, yeah. you know? And maybe next year. And maybe five years from now. Yeah. So what are different ways that can we, can we participate in society uh, that will honor the loss of that but also give us the future ahead saying it is a hopeful future Mm -hmm. so that's number two so and then again the third the third thing is is um you know creating those new rituals uh, and healthy manners you know so again like i said the people that are protesting you know whatever you know Mm -hmm. that's their expression that's how it's manifesting and just to say, okay, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna blame them, not gonna label them monsters or anything else like that. But just like, okay, not excusing their action, but here's how we can 
move forward as 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 a community, and then maybe in there there's going to be conversation with those folks that are dealing with the situation that they are, mm-hmm. you know, the party animals that are going out to the lake, you know, or the beach or whatever. Yeah, you know, so just just allowing dialogue and storytelling to happen within mm-hmm. those community in that space too. Yeah, I've been thinking a lot about the weirdness of this. I mean, there is a lot of weirdness, right? But one of the things that has been particularly perplexing to me is that every every choice is there's a political angle to it. Mm. So wearing a mask is now a political statement. It's not just, oh, this is recommended by the healthcare community, so I'm going to do it because that's because I, I should listen to my doctor. Right. <laughs> like, like all of a sudden, listening to your doctor is and 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 doing something in public that your doctor recommends is a political statement. Right. And that is like, I I didn't sign up for that. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, I'm curious. Like, you know, you're talking about being able to identify that we're grieving. Uh, being aware of the future stories that we're telling ourselves about where this is going and what's going to happen. Um, and then, you know, you're inviting us into this space where our connection, our, our ways of connecting with each other are different and we have a lot of graciousness and space uh, in our relationships to honor those feelings that people are feeling. And we have the kind of relationship where we can call people to accountability and say, listen, I see that you're doing this. I see that you have armed yourself and are protesting at the Capitol. I see that you're out at the Lake of the Ozarks in ways that the healthcare community is telling us is not recommended. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, being able to bring, to say, I'm noticing these behaviors. What's the feeling behind those behaviors? What, what, what are you feeling that is motivating you to behave that way. You know, I would love to be able to have those conversations, you know, and I would love for our public discourse, our um, social media discourse to move in that direction, but it would take a tremendous amount of uh, sort of personal and emotional will Mm -hmm. on behalf of individuals to move out of this defensive position right and like my future story right now is feeling like i don't have a lot of faith in people mm-hmm. <laughs> to do that emotionally focused work right. or to have emotionally focused dialogue because it requires so much vulnerability in the midst of a conversation style that is about blame that's about deflection, that's about avoidance. Mm -hmm. Even this concept of, oh, give it to God, like that's permission to avoid Mm -hmm. what we're feeling. And so I'm feeling perplexed by what feels like a giant leap Mm -hmm. from where we are, from this fighting that's happening, from conversations of, you know, personal freedom about masks to we're all grieving, we're all terrified. Can we just admit that we're all grieving and we're all terrified and that we don't know what's going to happen? Right. That feels like a huge leap to me. Yeah. So I've been thinking about where do we start 
and I'm curious if you have any ideas about where to start. Yeah, that's that's a good question because, you know, I've been pondering that myself because, you know, with this whole mask thing, I saw a couple of my friends post on Facebook, like I have friends that are like very anti-mask, you know, we shouldn't live into the fear. We should just, you know, be bold and everything else like that. And then they got the other friends that are, you know, very health conscious, very like I'm going to follow the CDC guidelines and everything else like that. And it's like, you know, they both go out into public and they, they're both shamed mm-hmm. and then they're both, you know, applauded at the right. same time. Right. So it's like, you know, we have a very uh, stratified, um, mm-hmm. they're polarized mm-hmm. yeah. society right now. And I don't, I really don't know where we can start to cr- kind of create the grayness and allow people to come into that space and be like, I hear you. like saying that you know when you feel like when you're wearing a mask that you're breathing in your own toxins all the time and that you feel like it's causing more harm because you're breathing in more co2 and uh that your 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 immunity is is a lot stronger than everybody else's and Mm -hmm. that you feel like you shouldn't be wearing the mask because of all that and then there's this other person that's that's like also there like Yes, I understand that uh, it's good for us to wear the mask because I'm not passing my germs on to you. You might have an immunodeficient family mm-hmm. member, yeah. you know, and I, I might pass on the virus to you. I understand that. So it's like, but like, where do we, where do we, where do we meet in that middle to have that conversation? So why are you shaming me for wearing a mask in the gas station? Mm-hmm. Or why, why are you shaming me for not wearing the mask in, yeah. in, 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 the, in, the, in the grocery store, you know, mm-hmm. sort of thing? And so, or going the wrong direction on the grocery store. I don't know. Right, right, right. Whatever uh, it is. Whatever yeah. it is. Uh, I think the only way is that we can only start with ourselves and like allowing that grace to, to just start with us. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like the whole idea of trust. You know, you don't wait, expect trust to give trust. You know, you just going to have to leap out and just trust. You're going to have to leap out and just give grace and and hope <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. but because we are at a place of loss of hope hopelessness we're not giving that out mm-hmm. and so the conversations are becoming very polarized and mm-hmm. people are very you know defending you know building up those walls and being defensive and everything mm-hmm. so uh yeah and, and i hope maybe the church maybe the synagogues maybe you know the the the, the mosques can help in like starting those conversations. Um, you know, those communities are very beneficial in like mm-hmm. saying, yes, we're, we are grieving, you know, let's come together. Let's figure this out in a safe way. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so. yeah. And so, uh, so many things are coming to mind. The, f- the first word that's coming to mind for me is curiosity mm. because I think what we've named, what we're kind of talking around here is that right now people's default response to other people's behavior that they disagree with is to de- dis is like disdain uh-huh. and shame, like you're saying. Right. So, you know, one thing that stands out to me is instead of immediately going to that place of you're endangering me by not wearing a mask, is to approach that with curiosity to say, what's, what's that about? Mm. 
And then, you know, if they give you all these statistics, it's like, okay, but what's the feeling? Mm -hmm. And then my hope is that by asking those questions and asking emotion-based questions, asking questions about feelings, you know, we can get to the point where the person who doesn't want to wear, who, who's not comfortable wearing a mask for X, Y, Z reasons is able to say, at the end of the day, I'm afraid. And the person who is afraid of people not wearing masks can say to that person, me too. Mm-hmm. I'm also scared. Right. And, and that we can find connection around that shared emotional experience. The way that we, the choices that we have made in response to that emotion are very different. Right. But the root is is a very similar feeling. Right. And that we, you know, that we can find a middle way together. Yeah. Potentially. Right. I mean, that's the basics of peace building mm-hmm. and peacemaking yeah. is taking these very different, you know, polarized positions and finding the common ground and then building from that place of common ground. Right. Um, I have a friend whose daughter is immune compromised and she's terrified. She's absolutely terrified, you know? And she's like, she's like, if you post anything against wearing a mask on social media, you're no longer my friend. Right. You know, and I'm devastated that we're having them, that that we're making those kinds of choices Mm -hmm. to completely dehumanize each other. Right. And cut each other off. And it cannot be, we cannot underestimate or minimize or overlook the role that our federal government has had Mm. in that because if we had clear measured wise level-headed leadership in the white house Mm. that would take the personal responsibility off of us Mm. because it wouldn't be about a choice of wearing a mask it would be this is the recommendation from the highest levels of our government all the way down to our local government Mm -hmm. If all of those leadership levels were in alignment with each other, and if those levels of government were in alignment with the scientific community, we wouldn't be having these conversations. It wouldn't be a conversation. Right. Yeah. There's like tons of information that's contradicting. Yes. It's very hard to cut out the truth. What is the fact? (laughs) What is the truth? You know, sort of thing. Yeah. When we have a president who said from the beginning, this is fake news. These aren't real, you know, this isn't fact, you know, like it's, it's, it's tragic to me that we have so much distrust Hmm. of, uh, of information Yeah. because it's, it's exhausting to like read a news article and then have to figure out whether or not it's trustworthy. It's an extra layer of emotional labor that we have to do. Uh It's an extra level of civic engagement that we're not equipped for, honestly. Um, You know, going back to the conspiracy theory thing, it's like people aren't trained to be able to see, oh, I just saw this documentary and no one was, there were, no one was cited in it. Like no one was named. There weren't names or organizations. Like I saw this person talking and they were wearing scrubs, so I assume they're a doctor. But there wasn't, I, their name wasn't listed. Their organization wasn't listed, you well, know. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, and to, to kind of go on that too, there are actually some medical professionals that have countered the, the standard. And mm-hmm. it's like, it, it throws that, that doubt inside someone's mind. And so it's like when you're like, you're in a tailspin, like, oh, yeah. emotionally. Yes. Like, okay, what do I need to believe? Yes. You know? And so 
I, I usually tell, I, or I tell myself this is like, okay, I see a piece of news. Like for instance, you know, um, a lot of people are talking about herd immuni- immunization mm-hmm, sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And so, and they used Sweden as one of those, those, well, look at what Sweden's doing. And that was early on. And at first it looked good. And then I, I just read an article yesterday. Oh, well, maybe not. And then I'm like, well, okay, I'm going to sit back and watch the facts go out. Because this the, the thing is with this coronavirus, this no- novel coronavirus, COVID-19, is like, it's novel. Yeah, it's brand new. <laughs> brand new. We've never encountered it before. <laughs> yeah. So even with like influenza, right? There are like several types of influenza that we've encountered before. Mm-hmm. And we know how they behave. We know we can predict what's going to happen. We have a full inventory of symptoms and prevention methods, et cetera, right. et cetera. We can test for it for goodness sake. Right. But yeah, like we're, we're asking the scientific community to move at lightning speed on this right. in a way that they're not equipped to either. Right. And then you have a president who enacts a wartime production action, right? But then doesn't do anything with it. So it's, 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 it's pathological at this point to have a government that appoints um, outsiders, meaning people with no experience, to particular task forces that are meant to be effective and then can't be effective mm. for that reason, right? Yeah. So when we're talking about ambiguous grief, we're talking about, or ambiguous loss, we're talking about frozen grief, disenfranchised grief, like, we don't have a president who will take responsibility for the choices that he has made. So it, to me, it compounds that loss. Yeah. Because we don't have any, like, we're not getting any reassurance. Right. Whatsoever. Yeah. Well, and the only thing, like, when I look at leadership in general is, like, I have to remember that the leaders are also human beings, too. And so, you know their decisions have deeper impacts, you know, sort of thing. Again, I think we can, we can overcome those, those, those Mm -hmm. failures or however you want to look at them. If we work together as a community, because, you know, whether it's the church or whether it's the United States of America, Mm -hmm. the, the, the church is not the building. The, the United States of America is not the White House. It's yes. the people. And we, the people, if we come together and we, we have these dialogues and uh, these understandings of one another and find that common ground, find that middle ground, we can work forward uh, where, you know, we're not dehumanizing one another. That's mm-hmm. that's the biggest thing I'm trying to, like, trying to spread, yeah. <laughs> you know, sort of thing. And, yeah. uh, you know, we're... We're going to be dealing with this for a long time, the after effects for a long, long time. And we're going to still make mistakes, you know, even if we figure it out tomorrow, yeah. we're still going to make those mistakes. So mm-hmm. if we can just hold in one another and like that compassion, uh, grace giving mm-hmm. and understanding, I think, I think, I know, I know we can uh, go beyond this and we can move on. <laughs> so yeah. It'll look different. Yeah. And you just got to keep that in mind. It'll look different. Absolutely. We'll be there. Yeah. We're almost out of time. (laughs) So just in closing, what's, can you think of like one or two like practical tools that a person listening to this could implement in their lives today to help them 
better deal with their own yeah. you know let's say we're, we're let's say someone who's listening is is like oh wow this ambiguous loss like yeah that's i'm really feeling that and i don't know what to do with it right what would you suggest so the first thing is to really take inventory of themselves to see what kind of hope do they have for the future so if they are suffering from despair and i'm not saying depression so depression and, and despair are two different things sure. they share a lot of things you can have a you can be in like deep despair but still function uh your day-to-day lives and uh things like that depression on the other hand is a little it's a lot different with physiological aspects to it and 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 that's more of an individualized where the despair is more of like uh what's the 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 focus around you like the world world view has is it different is it distorted so Mm -hmm. if you see the future being distorted for you then then there is this lack of hope there's a hopelessness there so mm-hmm. take an inventory of that find a way for and talk to people talk to your friends your loved ones a, a pastor a, a imam a, a rabbi somebody that you find that you trust to to create a different future story to find those uh, glimpses of hope and and then start from there and then um and then recognize that you are in grieving that you are that you have lost that you know, even though you can't go to the cafe every day, your favorite cafe, uh, you know, that's impacting you. You know, that is loss. So recognize it, acknowledge it, try to provide some sort of ritual for it. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, maybe create a new uh, ritual for yourself to take the place of like going to the cafe. So that's where I would start. Start on the individual and then then go on to your uh, inner circle of relationships so the relational health of that things so if you're having some problems with connecting with people because of their points of view or anything else like that i would say give space and ask them questions how are they feeling right when you're when you feel ready enough and that you can take it and maybe it would be reciprocated mm-hmm. so yeah. and that doesn't have to be you know none of what you're describing has to be has to take a lot of time right right like you don't have to like meditate for an hour on these things. Right. It's like just as you're closing your eyes at night and you're, you know, take two minutes, yeah. take five minutes, take 30 seconds to just acknowledge what you're feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like sometimes when we're already at capacity or we're already overwhelmed, the thought of doing one more thing is too much. Right. When what we're talking about here is an invitation to sort of a micro practice mm-hmm. that will help to support the rest of the life that's happening yeah awesome well thank you jose i'm so excited we well. got to do this <laughs> yeah this is kind of interesting kind of <laughs> how does it feel to be the talk the, 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 the interview the interview <laughs> yeah feels weird but <laughs> yeah so i just want to thank everybody for who is tuning into this podcast i want to say thank you first and foremost for tuning in and i want to thank amy shoemaker for being the the host this time around Uh, maybe we can do it again some other time and on that note we'll call that a wrap for this episode of story wagon i want to thank you the listener for supporting us and listening to this episode and if you want please follow us on any social media platform and type in story wagon you can also visit us at a website storywagon.org and so With that, this is Chaplain Jose Martinez wishing you good spiritual health.